0: Folks, all of this banking and bailout calamity is certainly important, but do you ever notice how this administration conveniently distracts us from Joe's scandals? I'll explain because the show starts now. The Silicon Valley bank fallout has been dominating the news this week, and it probably should. Average Americans are already suffering from inflation and everything else this regime has put us through. So the last thing we want to be worrying about is if what's left of our hard-earned money is safe. Totally get it and totally with you. But you ever notice every time a bombshell about the Biden family or the swamp happenings in general start to rise to the surface, the news suddenly changes and gets jerked into something perhaps less problematic for Joe and friends. Let's look at what else is happening this week that is not being covered. The origins of COVID, a.k.a. the Wuhan lab leak, and Fauci's great cover-up. It was a big topic last week, but now poof, out of the headlines and Fauci is out of the hot seat. Then there's the truth bombs Tucker Carlson dropped about the real January 6th last week. You know how we've been lied to for over two years. Now all of a sudden, poof, also gone. And this week, we should be discussing this bombshell related to the big guy and his foreign business entanglements.
1: Two weeks ago, Sean, I subpoenaed a bank for records for three different former Hunter Biden business associates. Uh, One of those associates in particular was Rob Walker. Uh, We got his account. We confirmed that that account uh, around two months after Joe Biden left the office of vice president received a $3 million wire from two individuals directly associated WITH THE CHINESE COMMUNIST PARTY. THE VERY NEXT DAY AFTER THAT WIRE WAS RECEIVED, uh, THE WALKER ACCOUNT STARTED TRANSFERRING MONEY INTO THREE DIFFERENT BIDEN FAMILY MEMBERS' ACCOUNTS, INCLUDING A NEW BIDEN FAMILY MEMBER THAT'S NEVER BEFORE BEEN IDENTIFIED AS SOMEONE BEING INVOLVED IN THE INFLUENCE PEDDLING SCHEME. SO THIS IS VERY uh, SERIOUS information that we've received very troubling information it does show a pattern that uh, the biden family was receiving money directly from china and the question i have sean is what were they doing in return for that money
0: good question but shocker y'all this is going to fly under the radar and it always would have but now other news outlets can explain it away because the banking stuff is just more important where have we seen this movie before i don't know Perhaps how the Joe classified materials scandal plus the Nord Stream pipeline explosion was swallowed up by the coverage of the Chinese spy balloon and then the three other random objects that could very well have been science projects? Now again, it's not to say these things aren't important to discuss because they are. It's just quite the pattern of look here, not there. None of these things, including the ignored invasion of our border, are advantageous for the Biden administration to discuss, but some of these things are easier than others, and uh the Biden big guy cover-up tops the list right alongside the lab leak. All I'm saying, Americans, is this. Keep your eyes peeled and your ears open. There is a lot going on and going down behind closed doors in this country that is even more sinister and concerning than the collapse of these mid-sized banks. Just saying. But still ahead, House Republicans have introduced a Parents' Bill of Rights, and it's about time. My Fox News buddy Raymond Arroyo is on deck to discuss that and his new book. That's next. Parents should know what their students are learning in the taxpayer-funded liberal indoctrination camps once known as public schools. This shouldn't be a partisan thing, but go figure it is. House Republicans are leading the charge with the Parents' Bill of Rights Act, which is exactly what it sounds like legislation aimed at allowing parents to know and examine classroom curricula and voice their concerns without being labeled domestic terrorists for doing so. You won't be shocked to hear that every single Democrat voted against this bill in committee. But bad move, donkeys, bad move, because this could very well be the issue that sways independence and brings new voters into the GOP fold. Joining me now with his take on this and so much more is Fox News contributor and author of The Unexpected Light of Thomas Alva Edison, Raymond Arroyo. Raymond, it's great to see you.
2: Hey, Tommy, great to see you.
0: So I want to talk about your book, but first I have to talk about this, Parents' Bill of Rights, because it kind of goes hand in hand. You know, the left really wants to be able to have their soft porn children's book in public libraries, their drag queen story hours, but they really don't want parents to know what their students are learning in these camps, formerly known as public schools. Do you think this is a bad move for Democrats to oppose a Bill of Rights that the House Republicans Well, I think up? it's
2: common. It's basic common sense. And look, Youngkin won his gubernatorial race largely due to parental upsetment and outrage over not being allowed to even have any say over the curriculum that their children were were imbibing. Now the Parents' Bill of Rights smartly says all the curricula has to be publicly posted or should be. That's a great move. There's another thing here, though, Tommy, that I think is a little unrealistic. To ask the school, each school, to list every book in the library. First of all, I don't know how you do that because new books are coming in all the time. And secondly, more importantly, what parent is going to have the time to know whether that what that new release is and what's in it. I think they they should have like a panel of parents who vet these books for on behalf of the parents and then bring up problematic titles before they're allowed in the library. So we don't need a running inventory of what's there or what's coming. You need to know what's about to come. So parents have a say in whether to allow it in or out of the library. And look, It's not banning books. Every book should be available to everybody, but there are age appropriate things for anything in life. We can't take kids to Bourbon Street. We can't take kids to strip clubs. That's a good thing because you don't want them drinking early and you don't want them watching strippers, Uh, which is why I don't know why it's so outside the bounds of normalcy to say parents would like to know what their children are encountering in the library and whether they're going to drag clubs or not. And I hear people say, look, friends of mine say, wait a minute, you're banning an artistic form, okay, because they see drag as an artistic form. Okay, it seems to me the artistic form is makeup. And if you wanna expose kids to art, bring them opera, ballet. Uh, Commedia dell'arte, there are a host of other disciplines you can bring into the classroom and expose kids to that they would actually enjoy and maybe learn something from. Uh, You know, people in extreme makeup gyrating around like a stripper. I'm not sure if that's the the art they need at that level, certainly. When they're post-18, go have at it. Go crazy.
0: Well, exactly. And I'll tell you this, Raymond, I'm only 30 years old, but back in my day in our public library and in (laughs) our school libraries... They wouldn't even let us have like a People magazine because there might be somebody on the cover that was scantily clad. I mean, this was not that long ago, for goodness sake. Right. And now they're having what is amounts to soft porn in these children's libraries, in these public libraries. And again, I will say this, this drag show thing, we, you know, we banned it in Tennessee and they're very angry about it, as you alluded to. The White House is angry about it. They're angry that, that we don't allow children to mutilate themselves at a young age through gender Morphia. They, they don't like that we have put this legislation through but you're exactly right we're not banning an art form you can still dress up and drag and you can perform for adults you just gotta leave the kids out of it so i don't understand the outrage but i wonder you know the left is very good at labeling things they've already labeled Ron santis's don't say gay bill and we call it that even though we know that it's not that that's what we refer to it as because the democrats beat us to the punch they labeled it So how effective do you think their argument versus our argument is going to be in 2024 when it comes to parents?
2: Well, look, I think everybody should be able to say it's not about performers. It's not about art forms. It's about children and protecting their innocence, no matter the political party of their parents or guardians. You've got to protect the innocence of a child. And if you're going to ban children from going to a bar or a strip club, you have to ban them from going to a drag performance where people are acting like strippers. If you're spreading your legs and, and people are putting dollars in your G-string, that's a strip act. I'm sorry. And as as the Tennessee law alludes to it, it's an obscene sexual entertainment. That should be forbidden for children. And I hope all parties could agree to that. And I think um, the, the Republicans have to do a better job of explaining that on the front end so that... It isn't labeled in a different way on the back end. And that's what's happened here, sadly for them.
0: yeah, but also people are so lazy, and I'm sorry, stupid, that they won't even read our bill, which is one page long. And if they did, they would explicitly see that this is about children, not about drag in general. But people are lazy. They listen to the leftists. They listen to the mainstream media. And so here we are. But I wonder, moving forward, how we can do a better job. Because we really message everything poorly. We allow them to set the terms, set the goalposts, define everything. And we're always reacting instead of advancing anything forward. And I think it's going to hurt the Republican Party in 2024, even though the ideas are on our side.
2: Because you have to, I think Youngkin did a great idea of acting as the advocate for children and parents, and that should be the position, I hope of all parties. One would, I mean, you said Democrats voted against this in committee. One wonders why this is common sense legislation that people should all, both parties should be able to agree on. But again, it becomes politicized because one faction thinks they can play it against the other to make it seem as if you're bigoted or biased against a, a whole group of people. That's not not the case this is about protecting child's rights and parents rights and those are important look i see children all the time when i go to these school visits tommy you, you see the, bro- the nature of, of uh, our broken society, broken families, and the sad impact on these children. They didn't ask to be uh, raised or born into this environment, but they're here. And it's up to all of us to try to create a better environment for them and to keep them from influences and individuals who mean them harm. No matter what political side those people might be on, we don't take we also don't let kids go to rifle ranges either without their parents permission, you know, and pick up whatever weapon they like or caliber. That's not done either, Tommy. So, uh, you know, we have to just have appropriate guardrails where children are concerned. And I don't see why this is political and I don't see why it's even controversial. It shouldn't be.
0: Right. And our students, meanwhile, are getting dumber because they're learning these things. They're learning critical race theory and they're not Mm -hmm. learning The Basics of Life, but there's one book that I know will be allowed in all public libraries if they're smart (laughs) and in all public settings if they're smart, and that's your new book. Now, you have to tell me what got you interested in writing about Thomas Edison because, you know, the liberals are going to be so excited because they love electric vehicles. They should be rushing out to buy your book. (laughs) Well,
2: you know, and Tommy, I didn't know this. Thomas Edison created the first electric vehicle, he was friends with Henry Ford, he had already created the alkaline battery, he created the first electric car, but Henry Ford thought it wasn't able to be reproduced economically so they killed it uh, in development, so thus Tesla, many years later, he was way ahead of his time. Look these important historic figures should not be lost to us. And there was a time when our grandparents, our parents knew who Thomas Edison was. Sadly, today we don't and our children don't really know. And I thought, I wanna rescue these figures, not only in American history, but of world history, and then put it in a frame. And the frame is, and the series is called Turnabout Tales. And these are inflection points, crisis moments in these young people's lives where a decision was made and all of history turned. And in the case of Edison, I didn't know this until I started reading deeply into his life. There was a line I found where he said, my mother was the making of me. And if not for her, I should never become an inventor. And I thought, what is this about? So I went back and looked. Turns out Thomas Edison was thrown out of school in second grade, Tommy. And the reason they threw him out, he probably had ADHD. If he were around today, I'm sure he would be diagnosed that way, uh, like 6 million other people every year, but thrown out of school and told he couldn't be taught and he was addled brained. And his mother said, no, my boy's curious. He has a lively intellectual life. I'm gonna take him home. I'm gonna homeschool him myself. That's what she did. Thomas Edison should be the poster child for homeschooling, the patron saint of homeschooling. He never received any formal training after that. It was his mother's ingenuity, she was an educator by trade, but her ingenuity to expose him to great literature, books on electricity and science that would fire his imagination, And most importantly, she allowed him to experiment, Tommy, and make a mess. He blew up the barn. He blew up the basement. He uh, caused a baggage car to go on on fire. He had experiments going on back there. But he became the greatest inventor of America and maybe of the world. A man whose inventions we continue to use a 100 years later to this moment. This microphone we're talking in, the motion picture camera, of course, the electrical grid, the light bulb, all of that. Is Thomas Edison, a kid thrown out of school in second grade. I wanted to preserve this turnabout tale. I think it's an inspiration, I hope, not only for kids who feel they're less than or are told they can't or they're too dumb, and parents who give up on their children or don't see the spark, the light that could very well glow for another century. That's what happened here with Thomas Edison.
0: Well, I love it. And I love your zest for these historical figures. And it's nice that you are paying homage to them, especially in a way that children can read about. And lucky for Thomas Edison, Twitter didn't exist at that time, because I'm sure (laughs) the liberals would go back into his search and he would find something problematic that he had said at one point or another, and they would have canceled him. So thank goodness you are preserving his memory and you're teaching young people to be curious.
2: Tesla would have absolutely launched a campaign against him because they had a big war about the best kind of current, AC, DC or DC. And Tesla won, but Edison won in the end. He created the dynamos and, of course, the electric grid. But uh, again, I think it's important that we hold on to our history. It tells us who we are, Tommy. And without that, you really can't see where you're going. Edison, all of his creations were built on the failures of those who went before him. He said, I'm not a genius. Genius is still sticking to it. And that's what we're all called to do. Stick to it. Stay in the fight. Stay in the puzzle. And that's where Edison lived. We have to do that in our daily lives. Learn from the past. Don't repeat those mistakes. Build on them and find a way out. If we did more of that, I think we'd be in a much better place as a people.
0: Well, Raymond, I hope that you're going to be reading this book to children at public libraries because they need to hear your message. And they need to get as excited as you are about it. And I hope to see you around 12-11 uh, in New York very soon, maybe on the big Saturday and Sunday show one of these war- weekends. And congratulations on not only this book, but your whole series of books, which are fantastic.
2: You're very kind. Well, it's a deal. And next time I'm coming to Nashville, forget the uh, 6th Avenue. I want to come see you in Nashville.
0: All right. We do allow children on Broadway, whether we should or should not, is you know, <laughs> up for debate. But it's, you yeah. know, it is what it is. Raymond, thank you so much. I'll talk to you thank soon. Thank you, my friend. Bye-bye. All right, up next, artificial intelligence is the new tech innovation, but are we opening a can of worms that no one is prepared for? I've got the Director of Communications and Technology at the American Legislative Exchange Council up next to give us all the AI insight. When you hear artificial intelligence, what comes to mind? Well, for me, it's Joe and Kamala, but that's a whole different category of artificial intelligence, I suppose. But what about the real AI? This could be the wave of the future, folks. And I'm not talking about your average Roomba vacuum, but something far more advanced, an artificial intelligence utopia, if you will. We've already gotten a taste of it courtesy of Microsoft's Bing, but these AI chatbots have made their debut in rude, evil, and threatening ways. So far, they've threatened to steal nuclear codes, unleash a virus, told a reporter to leave his wife, and are now standing up to threats of being shut down. And here's another example. When a user asked if chatbots are smarter than humans, the bot responded with a resounding and also quite evil, yes. But what is the future of this technology, and should we embrace it? Joining me now with his take is Director of Communications and Technology at ALEC, Jake Morabito. Jake, it's great to have you. I'm very interested in this whole concept of AI, but I wonder... Could this potentially be the Armageddon that we are unleashing upon ourselves that we wish that we're going to be able to take back, but it's already going to be done?
3: Well, thanks for having me on, Tommy. And I think we're a ways away from Skynet taking over the world with this AI technology, but it is something that we should be keeping an eye on. Um, I think what really struck a chord with the the world was how OpenAI, the makers of ChatGPT, they released the technology to the public. A few months ago, it really struck a chord with just how capable it was. I think a lot of people maybe knew about AI from Amazon Alexa and Apple's Siri virtual assistants, but a lot of people didn't realize how far it's come. And so now policymakers and the public have to grapple with this technology.
0: Yeah, well, a lot of people find it really cool and really unique, and the concept of it you know, is great because I'm sure artificial intelligence could handle a lot of things you know, that we don't want to do. But you, know, you brought up uh, Amazon Alexa, you brought up you know, these other technologies, the series, all that that we've had for years, but then there's a whole other level of privacy complaints that come along with it. That I think a lot of people are really concerned about. It's something that humans create, but does artificial intelligence does it have the capability to really live on its own once it's jump started? I mean, what are the real implications of this kind of technology and how it's advancing?
3: Well, you just pointed out something very important to note is that the technology is still making a lot of simple mistakes, um, and it's not it's not a fully developed technology. Um, it's like I saw one example on the, on Twitter where. They were trying to buy movie tickets for Avatar, and the AI responded, "No, it's not out yet. It's it's still 2022, so that movie's not released yet." Even so, even something as simple as getting the date correct, so, or even simple math equations, the technology is having these issues. Um, so in that respect, I think it's good that you're already seeing some free market competition injected into this space. Um, like you mentioned, Microsoft has adopted the the GPT technology into into Bing. Google is investing in their own competitor, but there's also a lot of new small. Um, generative AI companies emerging on the scene. And that free market, Alec believes that that free market approach is going to lead to better results for consumers.
0: So forgive me, because I am not a tech guru by any stretch of the imagination. So I don't fully understand how artificial intelligence comes about. Is this run by a math equation, an algorithm? How does somebody create artificial intelligence to the point where it can operate seemingly on its own?
3: Sure. So how this technology is operating is it's it's essentially using natural language processing, which means it's able to communicate, um, simulating human speech and complete sentences. So that's one of the things that's really alarming people is wow, it can communicate like I communicate. But that's very powerful. I'm sure anyone who's used tried to get customer service through a lot of different organizations or companies, they they've seen these chatbots for years now, and they haven't really worked as advertised. But this new natural language processing can really revolutionize that. Imagine when there were all those airline disruptions just a few months ago and everyone was waiting for hours and hours in phone queues trying to get their refunds or get on a new flight. What if you could just go into an intelligent chat bot, and it would immediately know your history, it would be able to adjudicate any claims and in just a matter of minutes, fulfill that request. I think that's gonna be the immediate term impact as a lot of companies are gonna find new ways to offload some of those menial tasks and help customer service agents and other employees Um, freed up for more meaningful tasks and the ability to serve more customers.
0: Yeah, it's nice when it it does help because we have a, a workforce shortage right now because we've got a lot of lazy americans but you know with the economy doing what it's doing and the fluctuations i have a feeling that in six months or a year those same people that don't want to do these jobs are going to be begging to do these jobs and i wonder you know i've said this for many years now if an ipad can replace you be careful how much you ask for at work these people that Mm -hmm. want you know 25 bucks an hour to flip a burger but now we're seeing it mcdonald's at one location is going fully automated Is there a real risk here to workers? Now, I get it. Some of these tasks, it allows the workers to do better things, a better use of their time. But could this really threaten a workforce and people that are doing these jobs right now if we move to more artificial intelligence?
3: It's definitely something to be concerned about. I mean, one thing that I'd like to to raise is that this AI technology in its current form, it's very good at reading patterns and predicting things that have are are common, but it's not very good at figuring out new creative problems or solving complicated tasks. So like I mentioned, it makes mistakes. It'll generate very convincing answers that are just completely wrong or fabricated. So I think this technology is good. It's going to be helpful for companies if they empower their workers to use this technology, not replace them entirely. You're still going to need that creative human input to solve problems. And anyone who's just trying to outright replace an employee with this technology, I think they'll find that it's not going to be um, living up to that level of quality that a human can do. And at the end of the day, this will help workers do their jobs better, not not replace them entirely.
0: I love it. And you'd mentioned that these chatbots, they make A lot of mistakes, but they sound very convincing. So you basically just described a modern day democrat. So we have come full circle, Jake. But I I appreciate it. I appreciate the conversation. I think a lot of people see this. It makes us excited. But you know, on the same token, there's a lot that we gotta dig into. The last thing I want to ask you is regulation. How much regulation of this technology do you think we're gonna see in the next couple of years?
3: Well, it's already starting. You've already have some officials here in the US who are saying that we should get a jump on regulating AI. Again, the technology is still developing. So I, one of the things that ALEC fears is that if you jump in too early, you're going to stifle a lot of economic opportunities that will never be able to, to be fully developed. You already have China eagerly looking at this technology, and we don't want to cede leadership to them on this issue. The European Union also looking to stifle American companies. It's really in our best interest to develop the technology here on American shores in a responsible free market, limited government way.
0: Well, that you and I can agree on because I love a little innovation and I love some capitalism and some more freedom. Thanks for being here explaining all of this for us. And, you know, it remains to be seen. Hopefully they don't take us over. But I guess in the next couple of years, maybe that won't be so bad anyway. (laughs) Thanks for being with me. (laughs) Thanks so much. Still ahead, we may have 676 days left of Joe, but the GOP race is already well underway and Nikki Haley still has no shot in hell. My final thoughts are next. The GOP is gearing up for 2024, but we all know this is a Ron versus Don race, and the rest of them are just sorry wannabes, especially you, Nikki Haley. It's time for Final Thoughts, powered by Four Patriots. <music> Folks, if you remember nothing else I say about 2024, just remember this mark my words and bet on it. One, the GOP nomination will be between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. And secondly, but similarly to point one, our GOP nominee will not, cannot, shall not, and over my dead body will be a candidate who supports endlessly funding and propping Ukraine up. Period. End of story. Take that to the bank and deposit it while you still can. Which leads me to my next point. Nikki Neocon Haley, who is now so out of her depth and punching so far above her weight class, she has made a pathetic dig at Ron DeSantis for copying Trump on Ukraine. No, Nikki, it just so happens that both men are America freaking first and do not support propping up the corrupt Ukrainian government with our hard-earned tax dollars in perpetuity. Haley, on the other hand, would do just that, as she believes propping up Ukraine endlessly is within our national security interests, but also said she doesn't support a blank check and also doesn't support sending U.S. troops over there. Okay, Nikki, so then what do you support? You're full of it, and you're a neocon through and through, and so is Pence. The only reason your drivel is tolerable is the comedic value of watching you pretend or even delusionally believe you have a shot. But back to Don versus Ron, the only conversation worth having for actual conservatives. This week, Donald Trump once again took a shot at Ron DeSantis.
1: For those of you that didn't notice, Florida was doing great long before Ron DeSantis got there. People are fleeing from New York to Florida and other places because of high taxes and out-of-control crime. It's really bad. Not because of the governor. Thank you, Mr. President, for doing that. But it's not because of the governor. Florida was doing fantastically. You had a governor named Rick Scott who did a very good job. Even Charlie Crist, a Democrat, did a good job, and he had very good numbers. Sunshine and ocean are very alluring. It's not too hard to work with those factors. So just remember, Florida was doing really well long before Ron DeSanctus got there.
0: Donald, oh buddy, oh pal, Why? 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 I just don't get it. DeSantis is not your enemy. He's not even your opponent yet. Why are you trying to convince people that the governor who flipped blue areas of Florida is not impressive or beloved? Because he is. We all know he is because the votes don't lie. You know, I get that Trump and DeSantis will eventually have to go after one another to separate themselves and win a nomination. But whoever is telling Trump these cheap shots at Ron are a good idea, well, they're lying to him. Don, My favorite president, please stop with this. Tell us how you can win. Tell us why you have the advantage over DeSantis. Don't cut down your fellow steadfast America First conservative by telling people his policies, which are basically the same as yours, are crap. We need you both. This honestly breaks my heart. Save the shots for the left. Don't fire into our own tent, especially when DeSantis isn't even your opponent yet. You're essentially fighting an imaginary friend at this point. Folks, we all know 2024 is going to get ugly, but we don't have to start drawing our own blood 600 days out. But hey, those are just my final thoughts. Be sure to catch the entire show as well as exclusive content at OutKick.com. From Nashville, God bless. Take care.